Do you believe Mr. Mueller would be involved in a witch hunt against anybody? I don't believe Mr. Mueller would uh, be involved in a witch hunt. Uh-oh. Don't tell Donald Trump you said that, Mr. Barr. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI. In Round Mountain on KKRN and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ. In Cottage Grove on KSO and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. <clears throat> says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Coming up, the bankruptcy protection now being sought by California's largest private utility, Pacific Gas and Electric, otherwise known as PG&E, in the face of some $30 billion in liabilities for their maintenance failures leading to massively destructive and deadly wildfires in this state over the past two years. Uh, we'll be talking about that and whether it is time that the state of California simply take over the private utility giant that provides electricity to some 16 million customers. We'll also discuss whether their climate change fueled woes bode poorly for other fossil fueled companies, not to mention the insurance industry and public entities like states across the country that are now being called on to bail out these companies. We will be joined uh, shortly by the L.A. Times Pulitzer Prize winning columnist Michael Hiltzik to discuss whether it is time for a state takeover of the power and gas company now that their bankruptcy filing has uh, seen their stock prices plummet to pennies on the dollar of what they had been worth just one or two years ago. Uh, Desi Doyen, before we get to uh, that a little bit later and a whole bunch of news right now. Should PG&E uh, be purchased by the state of California? You know, it's a really interesting idea, but I don't know enough about how that would even work uh, legally, logistically, business-wise. So I'm actually looking forward to hearing what uh, Hiltzik has to say about this, because it's a really intriguing question. And it may be something that all states are eventually forced into because of climate impacts. Indeed, that is uh, coming up, that conversation with uh, Mr. Hiltzik. Uh, Desi Doyle will be back with us, of course, for the latest Green News report today as well. Yep. 
In the meantime, a federal judge on Tuesday blocked the Trump administration's plan to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census with an opinion that found uh, the move by Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross violated the law. That law would be the Administrative Procedure Act, or the APA. Judge Furman's decision, if not overturned by a higher court, he's a U.S. District Court judge, this is a monumental victory, writes Tierney Sneed at TPM, for voting rights activists and immigrant advocates who fear the question would spook immigrant participation in the census. An undercount of those populations would shift political representation and government resources away from those communities in favor of less diverse, less urban, more rural, more Republican parts of the country, which, of course, is uh, just part of the reason behind all of this. Furthermore, uh, there were strong hints that the citizenship data procured would then be used to exclude non-citizenships from redistricting, from congressional redistricting, for example. That is a long-sought goal of Republicans in hopes of boosting their electoral advantages, which, of course, they will do anytime they can, any way they can. In his 277-page opinion, U.S. District Judge Furman in Manhattan said that Secretary Ross, quote, failed to consider several important aspects of the problem, alternately ignored, cherry-picked, or badly misconstrued the evidence in the record before him, acted irrationally both in light of the evidence and his own stated decisional criteria and failed to justify significant departures from past policies and practices, a veritable smorgasbord of classic clear-cut APA violations, the judge wrote. Ouch. The uh, Justice Department said it was, quote, disappointed with the decision in a statement that claimed that the, quote, government is legally entitled to include a citizenship question on the census. And the judge found that that may be, but not the way he did it, not in violation of the APA and uh, not with a whole bunch of lies to justify it for pretextual reasons. Judge Furman based the decision on an official record produced by the administration that showed that the Census Bureau had repeatedly advised Ross against adding that question and that the administration's official reason for adding the question, they claimed it was for Voting Rights Act enforcement, try not to laugh, that that could be achieved in a less costly, less harmful way. In other words, Ross announced his decision in a manner that concealed its true basis rather than explaining it as the APA required him to do, the judge wrote. The case is among some half dozen cases around the country um, on this issue, uh, which uh, was announced last March by the uh, Commerce Secretary. Furman's case was the first to go to trial, and he is the first judge to reach a decision on the merits of the case. It's also an issue already headed to the Supreme Court in a case that will be heard in February. So it is unlikely that Furman's word will be the last one on this matter. Judge Furman said that his decision Tuesday was based solely on the so-called administrative record, the official record that the administration put forward justifying its process of coming to a decision on this question. 
By basing his ruling only on the administrative record, Sneed reports, Furman segregated his findings from the contentious issue at the heart of the dispute that the Supreme Court will hear next month. The judge said looking beyond the administrative record merely confirms that the court's conclusions and uh, con- confirms the court's conclusions and illustrates how egregious the APA violations were in this case, said the judge. His opinion took a also uh, took a not so veiled swipe at Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, uh, who wrote when the uh, dispute about uh, whether uh, Ross could be deposed in this matter, when that was dismissed at the Supreme Court. At an earlier stage, uh, Gorsuch had said there was nothing wrong with the new cabinet secretary, quote, cutting through red tape. Furman responded to that fairly directly by saying in his uh, very long ruling that, quote, although some may deride its requirements as red tape, the APA exists to protect core constitutional and democratic values. It ensures that agencies exercise only the authority that Congress has given them that they exercise that authority reasonably and that they follow applicable procedures. In short, it ensures that agencies remain accountable to the public they serve. He was uh, he, he, he was he, none too pleased no. with what Gorsuch had to say about the APA, which is in place for that very reason. And he means business in this decision, man. Uh, it's going to be uh, tough for them to deal with if they deal with it at the Supreme Court next month. Furman said that Ross's uh, initial explanations about adding the question included, including in testimony to Congress, were, quote, materially inaccurate. The wow. judge meticulously picked apart piece by piece claims that Ross had made about the question, including that it was, quote, well tested. In fact, it wasn't well tested. Ross lied to Congress, which uh, is a crime, by the way, used to be or it is. For some people, maybe not for others, Furman rattled off a list of inaccurate, if not outright false statements Ross and his aides made about the process of adding this question. He said those acts and statements are not the transparent acts and statements one would expect from government officials who have decided for bona fide and defensible reasons to change policy, nor are they the acts and statements of government officials who are merely trying to cut through red tape. Instead, he wrote, they are the acts and statements of officials with something to hide. Wow. The uh, Judge Furman, by the way, is an appointee of Barack Obama. The deadline for the 2020 questionnaires to go to print is June, so this all needs to be settled pretty quickly. Uh, There's another case currently underway in San Francisco, uh, so there's going to be a lot of rulings on this. But boy, that judge in uh, Manhattan meant business here and called out Wilbur Ross dead to rights, it seems to me, on this issue. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's nominee for attorney general, William Barr, testified before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee in his confirmation hearings on Tuesday. I hope he didn't lie. Much of the focus was on how the attorney general nominee would handle key issues related to the Russia probe and keep the uh, Justice Department independent from a president known to insert himself into the DOJ's affairs. In his opening statement, as we noted yesterday, um, because he released it in advance, But in the opening statement uh, today before the Senate Judiciary Committee and in answers to lawmakers' questions, Barr sought to assuage concerns that he'll act as a flunky 
to President Trump. He committed to allow the Russia investigation to continue unimpeded and to publicly releasing special counsel Robert Mueller's findings to the extent the law allows. So there was uh, some hedging there on that particular issue. Barr notably declined to commit on other key issues as well, like whether his prior comments on Trump's possible obstruction of justice rendered him incapable of independently overseeing the Mueller probe at all. Barr had circulated a memo last year arguing in part that Mueller's probe was based on a faulty premise and that the president could not commit obstruction of justice in firing someone that he is by law permitted to fire, no matter what the reason is. Critics charge that uh, Barr's memo should, at a minimum, require him to recuse himself from overseeing Mueller's probe, as the previous attorney general, Jeff Sessions, did to infamous criticism from Donald Trump. Early on in the hearing, Barr affirmed that he respected Mueller and his work, stating, quote, I don't believe Mueller would be involved in a witch hunt. As I said, Donald Trump's not going to be happy to hear that one. Barr, who served as attorney general under uh, George H.W. Bush, described himself as a good friend of the special counsel during Tuesday's proceedings. Barr vowed not to interfere with the scope of the uh, Mueller's investigation, to provide him with the resources needed to complete his work, and only to terminate Mueller's service with good cause. Barr said, frankly, it is unimaginable to me that Bob would do anything that gave rise to good cause to uh, to be fired. Pressed by Senator Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware, on what he would do if Trump pushed him to fire Mueller without good cause, Barr replied, I would not carry out that instruction. Barr also committed to providing, quote, as much transparency as possible about Mueller's findings as AG, he would receive the special counsel's final confidential report. He would then produce his own version of that report and has the discretion on whether his document is then released to Congress and the public or not. So he, he was a bit more wishy-washy on whether he'd commit to informing Congress about any changes or deletions made in his version of that report. On several, several other issues of concern to Democratic lawmakers, Barr equivocated. Barr was also circumspect about whether he should be allowed to oversee the Mueller probe, given the unsolicited memo that he submitted to the uh, DOJ last year, uh, arguing that Mueller's obstruction of justice theory uh, was f against uh, Trump was, quote, fatally misconceived. Senator Patrick Leahy, Democrat of Vermont, said that Trump's open, constant criticism of the Russia, quote, witch hunt and the FBI made it impossible to believe that Barr would not be called upon to cross the line as attorney general by the president. Leahy asked if Barr would commit to seeking and following the DOJ's ethics officials on whether he should recuse himself from overseeing the Mueller probe, given uh, Trump's perspective on all of this. So will you commit, if confirmed, to both seeking and following the advice of the department's career ethics officials on whether you must recuse from the special counsel's investigation? Uh, I, I will seek uh, the advice of the career uh, ethics uh, personnel 
but under the regulations, I make the decision as the head of the agency as to my own recusal. So I, I certainly would consult with them, and, and at the end of the day, I would make a decision uh, in good faith based on uh, the laws and the facts that are uh, evident at that time. So he would uh, seek the advice of the professionals, the people who it is their job to deal with ethics issues, and then he would decide for himself whether he wants to listen to them. And by the way, that is something that all previous folks have all said, yes, I will abide by what the ethics folks tell me. Well, the previous folks do not include the acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker. <laughs> That's true. Uh, he also sought the advice of DOJ ethics officials on whether he should recuse or not, given his previous opinions about the Mueller probe. He took their advice, or he listened to their advice in any event, they recommended that Whitaker should, in fact, recuse, but Whitaker ultimately took the advice of his own advisors and did not recuse. We will have uh, more on uh, Bill Barr's testimony, I suspect, and hope on uh, on tomorrow's broadcast. Meanwhile, Donald Trump asked a group of moderate House Democrats to meet with him on Tuesday, looking to drive a wedge between them and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on negotiations to end his now record-long partial U.S. government shutdown. That didn't work. White House officials scrambled to find moderate House Democrats, any moderate House Democrat, any any Democrat at all, I guess, who was willing to meet with Trump on Tuesday morning after the president demanded this uh, meeting from his aides, but Democrat after Democrat turned them down, reportedly. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said in a statement late Tuesday uh, that uh, today the president offered both Democrats and Republicans the chance to meet for lunch at the White House. Unfortunately, no Democrats will attend. Womp womp. What would they have for lunch, by the way? A burger? There has to be leftover burgers. Donald Trump said that he bought a thousand hamburgers. For the folks that won, the, the Clemson University players who, who won. And uh, yeah. Who, no. who won, but lost by being invited to the White House and having to eat Wendy's and McDonald's. From uh, a self-proclaimed billionaire. Yeah, for, right. So he couldn't afford to buy anything better. And yet, uh, I guess that they had to do that because the government is shut down. I guess. I presume. I don't know. Invitees who uh, turned down Trump today, however, include um, uh, co Congress members Lou Correa of uh, California and Stephanie Murphy of Florida, the co-chairs of the moderate Blue Dog Democratic Coalition. I did not even know the Blue Dog Democrats were still around. I thought they uh, had gotten rid of all of them. I guess there's yeah, still a are, few. Yeah, we're not so lucky. Nonetheless, both made it clear they were not interested in meeting with the president. Korea's response uh, was very direct. A spokesman told Roll Call, quote, Congressman Korea welcomes the opportunity to talk with the president about border security as soon as the government is reopened. The Democrats' move is a show of party unity in the face of Trump's ongoing demands that uh, Democrats cave and give him money for his long-sought border wall in exchange for reopening the government. But there are no signs that this shutdown will end anytime soon. Meanwhile, American voters are blaming the president and congressional Republicans big time for the ongoing partial government shutdown. Uh, this, uh, according to several new polls, including 
One from Quinnipiac University that was released on uh, Monday. The survey found that voters oppose shutting down the government by uh, to force the funding for the wall by 63 to 32 percent. That's more than a 30 point margin, almost a two to one margin. 56 percent of voters blame Trump and the GOP for the ongoing shutdown, while just 36 percent blame Democrats. That 36 number is even less than Trump's latest approval rating, uh, which has dipped about four points in every poll taken over the record length shutdown. Americans oppose Trump's threat to declare a national emergency on the southern border, 65 to 32 percent, according to Quinnipiac. Americans also continue to oppose additional wall construction along the U.S.-Mexico border by double-digit margins. Uh, Those numbers are virtually unchanged from Quinnipiac's last survey in mid-December, shortly before the shutdown, regarding um, the wall itself. That is uh, opposed 55 to 43 percent. And Democrats actually lead Trump, by the way, on the question of who voters trust more on border security by about four points. Uh, That's not a huge margin, but it stands in contrast to the GOP's long held lead on questions about border security. So uh, voters say by double digits that margins uh, by double digit margins that building the wall is not a good use of taxpayer dollars, that it won't make the U.S. safer, that it isn't necessary to protect the border and that it is not consistent with American values. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of support for what Donald Trump is doing. Don't know what his plan is to get out. It looked for a while like it was going to be to declare a national emergency, but even that is wildly unpopular. He has really painted himself into a corner here. And, uh, of course, it continues to hurt the American people, not just the 800,000 who are um, furloughed or working for literally slave wages, in other words, not being paid while being forced to go to work. Um, But it's affecting Americans all over the country. Last Friday's uh, broadcast, we noted that Miami International Airport was being forced to close one of its terminals over the weekend due to TSA employees calling in sick during Trump's uh, shutdown here uh, because, you know, they're not getting paid to go to work. And so they might as well call in sick and take another job that might pay them some money, at least for the short term. Uh, But today, air travelers, uh, according to AP, are waiting for more than an hour to get through domestic checkpoints at the world's busiest airport in Atlanta. Uh, Actually, this was on Monday, the first business day after security screeners missed paychecks for the first time due to the partial government shutdown. No shows among screeners across the nation soared on Sunday and again into Monday. The TSA reported a national absence rate of 7.6 percent. That is compared with the normal absent rate uh, of this time of year of 3.2 percent. Across the country, airports are making changes to deal with the shortage of screeners. A traveler in Atlanta described the situation as chaos in the TSA lines. Miami International Airport, as I noted, closed one of its concourses for part of Saturday and Sunday. Houston's George Bush International Airport closed one terminal Sunday, uh, and it remained shuttered on Monday, according to an airport spokesperson. The president of the uh, government workers local union in Seattle said that he was asking food banks 
if they can help workers. And uh, Chef uh, Jose Andres, who recently traveled to Puerto Rico to provide meals in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, is now setting up another kitchen, this time in Washington, D.C., for unpaid federal workers. He tweeted on Monday, big news, we will open a kitchen on Pennsylvania Avenue this week to join private sector efforts to feed federal employees during the shutdown. It's only fair to feed Americans in need, he said. Shameful, just shameful. But I'm I'm happy for Chef Andres and all the other efforts to help out all these people. The fact that we have to do this at all is uh, shameful and does not sound to me like making America great again. But what do I know? All right, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back with uh, Michael Hiltzik, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter from the L.A. Times. Uh, about uh, another utility company, a big one, declaring bankruptcy this week. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Well done. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Pacific Gas and Electric said on Monday that it would seek bankruptcy protection as, quote, the only viable option as the giant California utility, the state's largest, faces billions of dollars in liability claims from two years of deadly wildfires, for which there is evidence their failure to properly maintain equipment sparked many of those fires that led to hundreds of thousands of scorched acres, tens of thousands of destroyed homes and other structures, and the deaths of more than 100 residents over just the past year or so. The New York Times reports the company's troubles pose a challenge to the state's elected officials and regulators who will ultimately have to decide whether part of the solution will be raising already high electricity rates on customers to help keep the utility company solvent. Experts said PG&E's predicament could be an early indicator of a wider economic toll from climate change, which is making wildfires more frequent and more destructive. At the same time, the company's financial straits could handicap the utility's ability to step up 
the kind of preventative measures it has been faulted for neglecting, like trimming trees and brush around power lines and transformers. For newly inaugurated Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom out here in California, he just took office last week, this bankruptcy disrupts an agenda that until now had focused on early childhood education, paid parental leave, and the expansion of the state's health care program. Newsom said Monday that everyone's immediate focus is rightfully on ensuring California's Californians have continuous, reliable, and safe electric and gas service. Fire investigators determined PG&E to be the cause of at least 17 of 21 major Northern California fires in 2017. It is also suspected in some of the 2018 wildfires that have been described as the worst in state history, including one that killed at least 86 people and destroyed the town of Paradise late last year. California's utilities have been seeking favorable regulatory and legislative support to guard themselves against wildfire liability, but none more so than PG&E, the primary gas and electric supplier to the northern half of the state, serving about 16 million customers over some 70,000 square miles. After intense lobbying, the state's investor-owned utilities, which include Southern California Edison and San Diego Gas and Electric as well, they won a legislative shield from having to bear the cost of the 2017 fires. The law allows them to pass the cost of wildfires to their customers in the form of higher rates. And now they're seeking the same protection for last year's fires, Energy experts say PG&E's intention to file for bankruptcy is one of the first major financial casualties from climate change, but far from the last. Rising global temperatures driven by man-made greenhouse gas emissions are drying out western forests and leading to more intense and longer-burning wildfires. But that's just one of the risks that utilities and other major entities like Fossil fuel producers facing investigations and lawsuits for their roles in climate change, not to mention insurance companies and state governments that may be needed to bail all of these people out. This is just uh, the first of what they are now finally beginning to confront. PG&E says it faces an estimated $30 billion in liability for damages from just the past two years of wildfires, a sum that would exceed its insurance and assets. The bankruptcy announcement this week by PG&E in a filing with federal regulators led the company's shares to plunge more than 50 percent on Monday. But even before that, some, including the L.A. Times' Michael Hiltzik, was suggesting it may be a great time for the state to simply take over the utility company in part to help avoid more public bailouts and trim excessive costs, such as for executive salaries and profits for the private uh, utility company. Writing at the L.A. Times last week, Hiltzik, Hiltzik noted, falling to a price of about $17 a share on the New York Stock Exchange last Friday, PG&E's shares have lost two-thirds of their value since mid-October and three-quarters of their value since reaching a peak of nearly $70 a share back in 2017. PG&E's market value, which once exceeded $36 billion, is now less than $9 billion, Hiltzik wrote. And that was before 
last week's seventeen dollar uh, share price was cut in half with the bankruptcy announcement on Monday. PG and E shares continue to tumble to about six and a half dollars today. If Hiltzik's uh, numbers are right there, it would mean that the company's market value is now closer to around three or four billion dollars. On the surface, Hiltzik writes. That suggests a solution to California's perennial problem of what to do about the chronically underperforming PG&E. Since the shares are now trading for a few dimes on the dollar of what they used to be worth, why shouldn't the state just buy the company? Good question. Why shouldn't they? Here to tell us why they shouldn't or why they should is the L.A. Times Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and business columnist Michael Hiltzik. Mr. Hiltzik, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Uh, thanks. It's good to be back with you. Ah. Uh, I should give you, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we actually have some firm figures. The market value of PG&E today, when we're speaking, is $3.6 billion. So it's come down by 90% from mm-hmm. its peak. So it's getting to the point where you and I could probably <laughs> get together and buy it out of our own uh, nest eggs. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, uh, and what would be the upside in 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 doing that, other than it's a a, a great bargain, maybe at that price? Uh, what are the upsides for the state in buying them out? Well, you just named one, uh, which is that it would be a bargain. Uh, I think if you really analyze what PG and E owns and its franchise, it, it's legitimately worth. More than three and a half or three point six billion in book mm-hmm. value. Um, you know, it's got a lot of infrastructure out there. It's obviously got a lot of customers. Uh, it's got a lot of business. So, if the state were to buy it at three and a half or three point six billion, it could probably turn a profit by selling some of those pieces off. Um, you would have a situation where you would no longer be paying. Uh, many millions of dollars to the to PG&E's top executives, one of whom, Geisha Williams, just left with a, I think, two and a half, maybe three and a half million dollar severance. And she, after all, presided over a lot of the most recent problems that PG&E has. Mm-hmm. You would get rid of the shareholders. And, al- and although PG&E uh, suspended its dividend to the shareholders um, a, a year, maybe a little bit, more than a year ago. Before that, it was cranking out about a billion dollars a year in dividends. That mm. was coming off the top. Uh, uh, a, a publicly owned, that is a state-owned utility, wouldn't have that expense, even if PG&E were to restore the dividend at some point. So uh, that would be cheaper. Uh, there are a lot of other technical advantages that have to do with um, getting PG&E out from under regulation by the federal government, uh, which which has some jurisdiction over some parts of the company, and then there's the, there's the basic advantage of putting in new management. Um, the management of PG&E has been absolutely atrocious for years. Uh, the company has a does not have a culture of safety. It does not have a culture of efficiency, and that all comes from the top. So. Uh, uh, you know, the company is in the process of sort of remaking its own management because a lot of its top executives are leaving. But but that process really could, I, I think, bear fruit better if it took place under the uh, uh, under the eyesight of, of 
the state government. Now, I, I, uh, obviously, they would be able to get it for a song at this point. We'd be able to get rid of bad management and so forth, uh, get rid of the dividends to save money for taxpayers who are, or for ratepayers, I should say, uh, currently. But wouldn't then we, the people, be liable for that same $30 billion that PG&E uh, may be found liable for? Well, that would be true if indeed uh, the state bought the whole thing. Uh, there, there are some uh, smart uh, analysts out there and smart experts who say, you know, at these prices, it would make sense for the state to pick and choose, and it could choose the more the more profitable and promising parts of PG&E's business, and leave the one with all the liabilities. And that's the distribution network. That's mm-hmm. uh, you know the the wires uh, and cables that go through residential neighborhoods and go through the woods. Uh, and it also includes uh, the, the responsibility for billing and things like that. That is something maybe that should be allowed to go bankrupt uh, and then let the bankruptcy court decide what to do about those liabilities because that's where they all are. But there are also there are other assets that mm-hmm. PGE owns, including the transmission network, and those are the big uh, cables that are on big towers mm-hmm. that get. Uh, electricity from uh, from one region to another within the state, or from generating plants to uh, to customers, uh, or, or to uh, you know to transformers mm-hmm. in the state. There's hydroelectric power generating capacity that PG&E owns that uh, could be very profitable, and that the state might want to have in its portfolio as it moves more toward renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so yeah so. <laughs> You know, when I said maybe the state should buy these utilities, and I included Edison in uh-huh. that uh, in that um, uh, idea, uh, I was being a little fanciful because if the state were to step in and buy it, it would not be able to buy PG&E for $3.6 billion. The Investors would see the state bidding, and they would jack up the price. Mm. So, But the idea that, that we need a radical restructuring of ownership and management at PG&E and and possibly at Edison as well uh, is is for real. Well, I think it's for real. Also, in this age of uh, climate change, it's not going to be just PG&E that's uh, facing problems like this. I want to get to that in a moment. But setting aside uh, just a financial question, you know, you, you referenced uh, the uh, long sort of checkered history of of skirting responsibility, skimping on maintenance by this company. Uh, it was involved in the water contamination lawsuit made famous in the movie Aaron Brockovich. Uh, it had problems in the 2001 Enron debacle. Uh, PG&E was convicted, you mentioned this in your article uh, in 2017, of six felonies connected to the gas line explosion that took eight lives and uh, in uh, San Bruno, California, back in 2010. And last month, the Public Utilities Commission alleged that the company falsified gas pipeline records for years after that explosion. Now, Michael Hiltzik, if you or I were convicted of felonies that killed people and falsified records to cover it up, we would be out of business. Aren't, isn't, uh, can a case be made here that their criminal failures alone, repeated ones at this point, uh, should be more than enough to essentially take away their license to do business in the state at this point? Yes. You and I would be in jail, right. actually. Yeah. And, you, you know, unfortunately, you can't put a corporation in jail. 
Um, but you can but take yeah, away their, I, I, their license to do business in the yeah, state a- after absolutely. this. Absolutely. Um, in fact, one year ago, I wrote a column saying, it's time to take the franchise away from PG&E and put it out for bid. Uh, let somebody else come in and show that they can operate all of these functions uh, much better, uh, more efficiently, cheaper, and without the, this, these constant... I mean, PG&E is like the Wells Fargo of the utility business. <laughs> yes. It can't seem to do anything right, and scandals continue to crop up. And, uh, you know, my case against PG&E goes way back even to the uh, the proposition that they tried to sneak uh, uh, across through the voters uh, many, many years ago mm-hmm. to, to basically eliminate competition from public power mm-hmm. uh, consortiums. Um, so PG&E has just been a bad actor. They have been absolutely atrocious operators. Uh, we haven't even mentioned how, you know, what Diablo Canyon, which they have not been able to manage properly and now are going to be shutting down. Di- Diablo Canyon, uh, for those not familiar, is the, I think, the last operating uh, nuclear plant at this point in, uh, in the state. Uh, yes, it's the last operating nuclear plant, and that's because, by the way, Edison, which owns San Onofre, mm-hmm. screwed that up so badly that they had to shut San Onofre down years before its its license was basically expired. So, so you know, as I wrote, uh, you know, for everybody who says, well, government can't do anything right, uh, the comeback from that is two words. It's San Onofre. Yeah. Uh, a multi-billion dollar nuclear plant that was reduced to scrap by the incompetence of its corporate owner. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, you know, government could do a lot right. It could do a lot more efficiently. It could strip a lot of costs uh, out of these enterprises. And uh, and it could always go out and hire uh, uh, private contractors to run the parts of the companies that need to be run. Yeah, and, you know, it is the taxpayers who are ultimately on the hook when these uh, nuclear plants shut down and the companies go away, but will be paying for them for years in one form or another. Now, I, I of course, I appreciate that millions need the energy that these companies supply so they you know they can't simply be shut down but at some point i'm wondering you know when we don't say enough is enough simply take this over by the state what is the impediment to doing that is it the usual oh no it's socialism argument because in fact as you describe it michael it it seems like a sound conservative fiscal move to save money for uh, taxpayers and ratepayers at this point no well, as uh, in California, there actually is a significant legal impediment uh, at the moment, and that is that the state constitution forbids the state from owning uh, stock in a corporation. But as we know, you can, we, the state constitution can be changed mm-hmm. uh, by two-thirds vote, I believe it is, of both chambers of the legislature or at the ballot box by the public. So... If if we have a debate over how who should own the, these utilities and and how we can have that debate and if it turns out that we want the state to be the owner uh, and and it runs afoul of the constitution we can change the constitution it's a lot easier than changing the federal constitution the uh... so but 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 we do we we really do need to have a debate and a debate in the near term mm-hmm. about 
who should own these utilities and how, and how they should be operated. And, of course, we now have a deadline and maybe an opportunity because PG&E is almost certainly going to file for bankruptcy, so it's now going to be under the jurisdiction of a federal bankruptcy court. And that gives the legislature and the Public Utilities Commission some opportunity to make their voices heard to the bankruptcy court about what they want that judge to do. And uh, the PUC can say, look, we want to see PG&E operated this way and that way, Mm -hmm. and unless a new buyer comes into bankruptcy court with the commitments we want, we're not going to give that new buyer a license. So, So the bankruptcy court needs to listen to us about what we want out of PG&E. And, and I think that, that in fact, is, is a significant advantage. And, uh, yeah, and it is something that we, we do need to start uh, debating and talking about. There are some larger related issues here, uh, and including some, some downsides. The New York Times reports that the uh, bankruptcy would allow PG&E to renegotiate its contract with its electricity suppliers, which could hurt solar and wind farms that might struggle to make money and repay debts if, in fact, they are forced to accept lower prices from PG&E. Is that something that uh, might be avoided well, I, with yeah, the public takeover? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh-huh. Uh, look, the, the price of energy and the price of, uh, of wind and solar is really governed by, at this point, the price of natural gas. Mm-hmm. And that's not in the bankruptcy court's jurisdiction. So... Um, well, the price. Uh, uh, the yeah, price. Well, of what? I, I think, uh, frankly, I think the Times was stretching to find a downside to bankruptcy, and I'm not sure they got that one right. Well, won't they? Won't PG&E uh, be allowed to renegotiate its its deal with with suppliers? Well, but it's still got to make a deal. So you know, uh, it doesn't mean that mm-hmm. it's got carte blanche to screw the suppliers it, it, uh, at all. It's mm-hmm. got to make a deal. And it can't say, you know, we're going to pay you, uh, you know, nit- uh, pennies on the dollar. It's got to make a legitimate deal that that's good for both sides. Climate scientists, lastly, have warned that uh, these adverse weather events, climate events, are, are going to get even worse in California and elsewhere, uh, you know, like the uh, drought and high winds, floods, etc., that are going to impact entire sectors like the utility industry and the insurance industry and so forth. Uh, w- what do you see as the uh, business columnist at the L.A. Times uh, as the risks to businesses overall? Uh, from the shift in uh, extreme weather events these days, and how much planning do you see in the business sector for the growing effects of climate change, Michael? Look, we're going to have these risks no matter what. We're going to have these risks whether I own PG&E or you do or the state of California or the shareholders do. Uh, These are risks that we have to have a, a broader discussion about how to manage them, and there are risks and there are opportunities in climate change uh, together. Uh, Climate change is going to make wind and solar, I think, more competitive uh, in the future. Um, The uh, technology of renewable energy generation is going to be a profitable business uh, for somebody. The costs of climate change, we're going to see them on the coasts. We're going to see them in the deserts, we're going to see them in the Central Valley because they're going to affect what farmers grow and how and how much they get for their crops. So all of this 
is is for real. Um, I, I think California has probably done more than most other states in starting to come to grips with it, because at least where we've been developing information about what those impacts might be, but but nobody has done enough planning uh, up, up to this point, and that includes the utilities, that includes the legislature, that includes all the agencies uh, that we have mm-hmm. that, that are beginning to come to grips with it, but it's a big, complicated uh, uh, issue, and we're not getting any help right now from the federal government, so we're on our own. We are, and I hope that uh, newly inaugurated uh, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom is up to the task. He's got a lot on his uh, on his plate right now. In the meantime, Michael Hiltzik and I are going to be uh, uh, bringing our pennies together as the stock continues to fall, and uh, it may be the Hiltzik Friedman Energy Company uh, by the time we're done. Hey, Michael, I appreciate you joining us uh, today, and uh, this is a really interesting topic uh, that I hope we will continue to discuss in the future though I hope that uh, PG&E stops giving us reasons to. Uh, Michael Hiltzik, you can find his work uh, at latimes.com and, of course, on the Twitters at HiltzikM. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks for having me. You bet. I just wanted to jump in really quick. I mean, Jump. I, okay. Well, the part where you described how the utility industry lobbied California heavily to get this this law in place to shield them. To protect from, them, yeah. Yeah, to protect them and raise rates on customers. This is happening all over the country. I mean, while you're not looking, your utility industry is lobbying your state lawmakers for exactly this kind of thing so they can continue to pay their CEOs millions of dollars yeah. and not use that money from ratepayers to invest in resilience for these climate change impacts. This is coming to every state. Yeah, uh, it's going to profits instead of to uh, shoring up the business, and and uh, you know, it, and and it falls to the ratepayers, the taxpayers. Yeah, you pay for higher rates for all of this. Yeah, so uh, let this uh, be a wake up call, as the electric company used to say. Hey, you guys! <laughs> yes. Pay attention. All right, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The uh, winter weather continues across the country, uh, and uh, it continues even as Donald Trump's ongoing government shutdown continues, and uh, that is now threatening public health and safety, as we discuss in our latest 
Green News Report. More than 800 flights were canceled over the weekend, thousands more delayed due to whiteout conditions. Intense winter storms wreak havoc from coast to coast. Overall, there's no cutoff point when it starts being an emergency. It's a matter of increasing levels of risk over time. Trump's government shutdown now threatening public health and safety. The world's oceans are taking in much more heat than we ever thought before. 2018 was the hottest year on record for the world's oceans, putting the world in hot water. Plus, now PG&E is on the hook for $30 billion worth of potential liabilities. California's largest electric utility to file for bankruptcy in the wake of catastrophic wildfires. All of those liabilities and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I mean, Ocasio-Cortez, the Green New Deal. You know what the estimated cost of this is? Your billionaire fossil fuel sponsors go broke and the world becomes a better, cleaner place where humans don't face extinction? Sounds like it's well worth the price to me, Sean Hannity. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I think pretty much everyone in the country got a taste of terrible winter weather over the past few days. Yeah, it was quite a wallop. Intense winter weather wreaked havoc across the nation over the weekend, sparking a state of emergency in North Carolina and one in Virginia due to record snowfall from a major winter storm that stretched more than 1,400 miles from Colorado all the way to the East Coast, and it killed at least 10 people as of airtime. In California, severe rainstorms have prompted officials to warn residents of burn areas recently ravaged by record wildfires to be on alert for flash floods that might trigger landslides. Speaking of those record wildfires in California, the state's largest private utility company, Pacific Gas and Electric, on Monday announced that it is seeking bankruptcy protection because it's facing up to $30 billion in potential liability claims from two years of catastrophic wildfires. And the company noted that that number does not include potential punitive damages, fines, penalties, or future claims. The state's fire agency, Cal Fire, previously determined that PG&E's Failure to maintain its equipment sparked 17 fires in 2017 in Northern California's wine country. The company's equipment is also suspected to be the cause of some of the record 2018 wildfires, including the worst wildfire in state history, the Camp Fire in Northern California that killed at least 86 people and destroyed nearly 20,000 buildings. The utility could also potentially face criminal prosecution if failure to maintain its equipment is found to have caused those fires. Well, if I caused a fire that ended up killing hundreds of people, I suspect I would go to jail. So maybe PG&E does need to pay a price. Meanwhile, public health experts are warning that President Trump's high stakes shutdown of the federal government over funding for his border wall, now the longest running government shutdown in U.S. history, is becoming a danger to public health. Becoming. Not only has the Food and Drug Administration suspended food safety inspections, but the Environmental Protection Agency pollution inspectors are also furloughed. No one is checking chemical factories, power plants, oil refineries, water treatment plants, or thousands of other industrial sites for pollution or safety violations. I would say for the Trump administration, that's a feature, not a bug. It could be. Cleanup work at Superfund sites is suspended. Forecasters are working without pay at the National Weather Service, meaning weather models are not being maintained, launched, or improved. 
amid extreme winter weather. But don't worry, the Bureau of Land Management is still on the job. It's at work right now on behalf of the oil industry, holding public meetings in Alaska to push forward plans for controversial new oil and gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Even during the federal shutdown? Yes. Nice. In the Gulf of Maine, state regulators have closed the winter commercial shrimp season for the next three years due to warming ocean temperatures that have severely depleted shrimp populations. That's because the Earth's oceans were the hottest ever recorded in 2018, thanks to man-made global warming. Thanks, man-made global warming. The 2018 record surpasses the record set in 2017, which in turn surpassed the ocean heat record set in 2016. Researchers publishing in the journal Science also report that the oceans are warming up as much as 40 to 50 percent faster than previous estimates just five years ago. And they say the rate of ocean warming itself is accelerating. If society continues to emit greenhouse gas at its current rate, they warn, thermal expansion of the oceans will add an additional foot of sea level rise by 2100 on top of that already expected from Greenland and Antarctica. They say ocean warming has contributed to increases in extreme weather, rising sea levels, the destruction of coral reefs, and declining ocean oxygen levels, with disturbing implications for the ocean food supply and life on Earth. You're nothing but fun, Desi Doyen. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. It's a rising, rising it's uh, it's always fun when we end a broadcast discussing questions about the future of life on Earth. Yeah, it's not the best, <laughs> but, you know, it's the way things are. Reality? Yeah. Well, I hate to deal with that. All right. Thank you very much, Desi and I appreciate that. And thanks to my guest today, L.A. Times' Michael Hiltzik. And, of course, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, along with every episode we have ever done at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and I hope you will find and share what it is that we do here every day. On the Twitters and the Facebooks, you can find me there at the Brad Blog. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on your public airwaves, at least until PG&E decides they want to start sponsoring us. I don't (laughs) understand. I don't know what the holdup is. Bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. We need your help. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.